Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to the FIC Focus Podcast, Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. With me today is my colleague, Erica Edelberg. She is our mortgage strategist covering the Fannie, Freddie, Ginnie Mae market, as well as a few other little things. Erica, thanks very much for coming back on FIC Focus. Thanks for having me, Ira. So this week, you've had a plethora of data that you've published a few notes on, including um, housing starts, housing sales, uh, plus mortgage applications and the like. With how high interest rates are and have yet become again, given that we've now seen mortgage rates um, go back to their peak, you know, what's your read on the data and firstly, and secondly, what does it mean for investors in mortgage-backed securities? Hi. Yeah, my read on the data and including yesterday's mortgage purchase application data, is that the housing market's under a lot of stress, which is, you know, of course, part of why we're raising interest rates is to slow down the housing market, but it is going to have ramifications across the housing market, the mortgage market, and the economy. I mean, first of all, a tiny uptick in the mortgage application data should be taken with a grain of salt because on a seasonally adjusted and a non-seasonally adjusted basis, we're basically at the low purchase demand for the last 30 years. So, you know, we're, we're really, I mean, in, in that, that was low. So, you know, we're really, um, you know, well below normal levels of interest for this time of year as we go into spring seasonals. And, you know, that's directly attributable to higher mortgage rates and lower affordability. And what that means for mortgage market itself is that there's likely to be extremely low supply. Right now, mortgage purchasers are making up, you know, 85% of all originations, which is by itself a very high number because refinancing is completely out of the money with most homeowners holding mortgages that are about 300 basis points below current rates. So no real incentives to do rate refinancing, of course, but not even cash out refinancing, except for a few people who might want to be taking advantage of the, um, home appreciation they've built up. But even there, like the home equity line of credit, the HELOC market's picking up more than, you know, a full cash out refinancing. So bottom line is that people aren't going to be able to use their homes as cash registers. And more importantly, from the mortgage market perspective, um, supply, new supply is going to be extremely light, which should make it a little bit easier for the mortgage market to absorb what is coming to market. Uh, but at the same time, the, one of the other things I talked about relating to prepayments, which also came out this week, is that the loan level pricing adjustments that the agencies uh, via FHFA are putting onto both refinancings and cash out refinancings um, is really slowing down the refinancing and likely to slow down the refinancing market even more as we go into spring months. So that's also going to reduce gross issuance though, you know, that the amount of net reinvestments is also going to be lower. So let's talk a little bit about some of the 
you know, supply demand dynamics, because you've just described an environment where supply is going to remain exceptionally low. And yes, the Federal Reserve is running off its balance sheet with the runoff of 10 to $15 billion a month worth of mortgages. That's obviously being added into the those gross supply numbers that you just noted. noted. Um, but supply is very low historically. Um, you know, is that, and but meanwhile, spreads and the mortgage basis still are reasonably wide, even with such low supply. You know, what, what's the reason for that? Is there, is, you know, what dynamics are uh, keeping investors from, say, you know, buying more relatively cheap mortgage product at this point? Right now, the type of investor who has to pick up the slack from the Federal Reserve um, and before them from the uh, GSEs who are big buyers before the Federal Reserve started buying in 2008, um, the, the net marginal buyer is really the money manager community. Banks have less, have, have less involvement for the first time in a very long time right now because their deposits are low, their demand for securities is low, and their reserves have been running off you know, with the Federal Reserve uh, tightening policy as well. So as a result, banks aren't really, who are a relatively less economic investor, aren't really supporting the mortgage market. Obviously, Federal Reserve and the GSEs are not really supporting the money market, uh, the mortgage market. That leaves um, foreign investors who are very, uh, at times, they can be very fickle based on currency expectations. And more importantly, as the marginal buyer, it's going to be asset managers who are very sensitive to volatility, risks, um, you know, involved with, you know, whether or not they think spreads are going to widen or tighten, et cetera. So they have come in and bought quite a bit more than they had been buying when the Federal Reserve had squeezed them out of the market, but they probably have limited buying capacity. And again, they're, they're relatively skittish. So when volatility is rising or the expectation is that volatility will rise as it is now, given how much uncertainty there is with the direction of inflation, the economy and Fed policy, they will back away from the market and won't necessarily support it, um, which keeps spreads wider than they had been when you had a less economically and less volatility-driven buyer. So finally, you know, something needs to be said because we did have the semi-annual monetary policy testimony by Fed Chairman Jerome Powell before the first the Senate and then the House of Representatives. Um, in the House on the second day of testimony, he didn't really say anything particularly um, insightful, I think, at least nothing that he didn't say the day before. But he, he was rather more hawkish, or I really should say less dovish than he was, because I think the statements that he made were, were pretty hawkish. And now the market's pricing for an even higher terminal Fed funds rate. And, um, and, and there's talk among some people as to and investors in particular, as to why the Fed, even though it might not hike interest rates much more than 55 to 6%, how come they're not considering using the balance sheet more? And, you know, the, the Federal Reserve is usually pretty reluctant and to affect market function by selling securities into the open market, um, unless it had to do so to, to improve market function. Um, so is there an environment that you could see where the Federal Reserve would say, um, you know, hey, we, we want to get mortgage rates even higher, and so therefore we're going to sell 5 or $10 billion of mortgages a month above and beyond what is, is currently rolling off? Or do you think that that would just completely roil the market and, and uh, the Federal Reserve is likely to steer clear of, of such an action? 
Yeah, I, I think actually would completely roil the market. It's not that five to 10 million billion, sorry, in the context of the already limited supply, which I think on net this month might have even been flat and waiting for the numbers to come out. Uh, but, uh, you know, on a gross supply basis, I, 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 at least my systems had us seeing about 60 billion in agency net supply, which is a fifth of what it was, you know, at the peak um, a couple of years ago or even last year. Um, so it's not that the quantity would actually upset the market, but I think um, they are concerned that it would probably create fears of how much they might sell because they do, of course, own, you know, multiple trillions of mortgages right now. So, you know, the market might start saying, well, if they're going to sell up to their amount, you know, how, how much is the market eventually going to have to absorb? Um, and on the other hand, you know, selling five to ten billion isn't really going to diminish their their balance sheet that much faster. So I, I I don't think that the way that they would like to raise rates effectively higher on mortgages is by roiling the market. I think they see market function as a very important aspect um, to to promote and not to disrupt. Yeah, fair enough. And you know, obviously interest rate sensitive sectors like housing, like like the auto market it's at some to some degree are being affected by these higher interest rates, but then there's a lot of other sectors um, that I've noted that haven't been as impacted, like a lot of the services sectors. Um, and then uh, clearly Jay Powell has been talking about the core services excluding housing as, as being a key indicator that he's looking at, and, and therefore we have to look at it as well for uh, trying to judge what the Fed's going to do next. But but in the overall economic environment, you know, talk a little bit about how, um, you know, there's been this this talk about there not being enough housing in, in the United States. And that's one of the reasons why rents keep going up. And interestingly, and we have to keep this in mind, is that the inflation data and the way that we calculate the inflation data in the United States is based on rents, not actually based on house prices, which is, I, I think, some, something that a lot of people might not realize, that owner's equivalent rent is highly influenced by the rental properties in any particular area. And certainly, nationwide. So so can you talk about your view as to, you know, whether or not there's actually this lack of housing that some people are talking about and 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 what types of information should we be looking at as to whether or not that's true? Right. I mean, one of the quotes which I've seen um quoted quite a bit by people who think there probably is enough housing out there is they say um selling shows when demand slows. So some people who are in the anti-housing shortage camp think that there's actually plenty of home supply for how many people need homes right now, but that it's being tied up by investors, uh, second home properties, um, and just people who are sitting on, you know, homes that maybe they would want to relocate, but, you know, don't want to do so now that they have such low, low mortgage rates. Um, I am not in that camp. I do think there there was chronic underbuilding after the financial crisis. If I look at you know vacancy rates, they're extremely low. If you do the national, I mean it's not published that often, but I think it's annual or maybe quarterly. Uh, but the vacancy rates that I'm seeing are extremely low, and it means that there is a shortage. Now we are seeing actually a record number of homes, new homes under completion which has an interesting dynamic I mean, under, sorry, uh, under construction, which does have an interesting dynamic because 
Um, the new home market's generally only about 10% of the overall housing market, but it's obviously going to increase and in share a little bit as some of those homes come out. The problem is that they don't necessarily suit and aren't necessarily in the geographies of where home demand might be the highest. For instance, near cities, um, you know, there's been all sorts of well-documented zoning issues with building multifamily housing new, near new cities, for instance. So, you know, there, there is definitely a disconnect between not only the amount of units that are available, but also where they're located. Um, on the other hand, you know, while, you know, for, a lot of the housing shortage affects, you know, lower income and rental, also, you know, lower income homes, at the same time, they're also the ones who are being most harmed, as Powell's mentioned many times, uh, by inflation, because they're on more of a fixed income generally. So as a result, while, you know, I think when I listened to some of the congressional questions, there was some concern that Powell's making it, um, you know, the Fed is making it harder for these lower income, lower credit um, borrowers to be able to buy homes right now. I think at the same time, because housing is such an important component, whether it's through rents or other mechanisms uh, like durable goods, et cetera, of inflation, that we first have to get inflation under control by, you know, housing markets and other interest rate sensitive you know, sectors like that coming under control. And then we can worry more about, um, you know, improving equitable housing. So what we have to do, one of the things I'm concerned about is you're seeing a big dip in, in permits for um, permits and starts from new home builders. And again, new home builders aren't going to solve the crisis, but it's certainly one step towards at least moderating it. And, you know, to the extent that they are feeling a lot less pessimistic, a lot more pessimistic than normal, a lot less optimistic and are reducing um, their starts. That that could you know create more housing issues, but again, until we get housing under control and inflation under control um, in terms of prices, there's not going to be much of a, a compromise there, either, or they can't be much of a compromise there. I don't think. Great. Well, that was Erica Edelberg. She was or is, I should say, the mortgage strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Erica, thanks for coming back on Fic Focus. <laughs> Thanks, Ira. Yeah, I hope you weren't telling me something. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, really appreciate your time today. Now we're going to go over to Will Hoffman. He's an associate in U.S. interest rate strategy for our interest rate intro segment. Will, what do you have for us today? Hey, Ira. Thank you for having me as always. So I had a quick question regarding the inversion of the treasury curve at the moment. So after the sell-offs in the front end following Powell's statement on... Tuesday, um, there seems to be a lot of confusion and even some sensationalism around the twos tens hitting and then exceeding by a decent margin that negative 100 basis points call uh, over the last two days that you've had for, for quite a while. Um, I was hoping you could talk a bit about how the future rate expectations in the market drive the shape of the yield curve via these two instruments and maybe rationalize for us the idea that the curve may very well invert further from this point should the Fed kind of move that upper bound target. Yeah, so I think it's a it's almost a given if and and it depends on where you're talking about the curve. But let's talk about one of the most widely um, quoted curves and the one that I certainly focus on quite quite a bit when I say the curve. I'm really talking about the two year versus the ten year curve. Some people talk about the three month versus the ten year or something like that. And and there's a variety of reasons why why three month ten year I don't think is is the right measure to look at when you're looking at what's 
the market's signaling or pricing for at any given moment. But let's talk about the twos tens curve. So, so the advantage of using the twos tens curve versus other curves, firstly, is that the two-year note is going to be the expectation, more or less, um, for what the market thinks is going to be the policy rate over the next two years on average. So, um, so, so that will be um, somewhat uh, lower if the market thinks that you know the the. Fed's going to keep interest rates low or interest rates at, at a certain period of time, and then it's going to increase them in the future. So that would create an upward sloping yield curve. There's also some risk premia and what they call term premia involved in that as well, but it's a little bit more dicey on, on how to analyze that. But but simplistically then, um, the 10-year note is the same thing except over a much longer time horizon. So the 10-year note should be, again, on average, what, what the overnight rate is on average over the next, over the next 10 years. So the, one of the reasons why we have this very large inversion, this, you know, we, we call it historical, unprecedented, it's not unprecedented, we, we have inverted more than this actually than, than we currently are, about negative 100 basis points on the twos tens curve now. We got to negative 200 basis points back during the, the, the early 1980s, but, you know, certainly in a couple of generations, this is the most inverted we've been. And the reason for that is that the market is now thinking that the Federal Reserve is going to hike to five and a half percent, five and three quarters percent, and then hold interest rates there for a pretty long time, right? At least six months, probably more like nine or 12 months, and then start to cut interest rates. And then once it starts to cut interest rates, it might cut them quite aggressively and quite a lot. So so when you look at the 10-year the and what the 10-year is pricing, the 10 years pr uh, below the two-year, just because we're saying that on average, after the next two years, interest rates are going to be significantly lower than what we are today. Now, that being said, this tends to be a recession indicator. So people always say whenever the yield curve inverts, that means that a recession is coming. That's true. That's the market's assessment that you're going to have a recession. But in this environment, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have a recession of any big magnitude. But it does mean that in, in number one, that we're likely to see uh, inflation come down quite a bit when you look at inflation measures that exist in the market today that did not exist in the 1980s, like Treasury inflation protected securities. We're still pricing for around 2.5% inflation on average over the next five years and and a little under that for the next 10. So, so the, the market is pricing for a pretty benign or relatively benign inflation environment compared to what we've had over the past 18 months or so. Um, so, so. So these pricing dynamics is all about expectations, all about the expectations of the future future of the market. Um, uh, you know, we're always asked, um, just anticipating maybe a question that you would ask is, we're asked regularly, what would cause the long-end yields to go up? What would cause the curve to re-steepen uh, in any significant way? And, and the answer is, and, and I think the answer is only really one thing, and that's expectations for, uh, for, for interest rate cuts. So, so let's say, just as an example, that the market was completely priced and priced exactly how it is today, one year from today what then would the yield curve look like? Well, when we look at, there's a cool terminal function called FWCM that you can use on the Bloomberg terminal for forward curve pricing matrix. And when you look at that and you say, okay, where, what is what are two-year yields expected to be um, one year from now? Well, one-year yields are expected to be at that about 4.7%, so more or less 25 basis points below where they are trading right now as we record on the 9th of March. Um, 
then the and and the the 10 year is expected to be pretty much where it is today maybe a little tiny bit lower in terms of yield at at 3.18%. So we do expect the yield curve in that situation to actually be 10 15 basis points steeper than it is today. So less inverted by about 10 or or 15 basis points than where it is today. And then you go out another year and now you're starting to price a curve that is is inverted only by 20 basis points. And then, uh, you know, you go out then, then a third year and you see that, that the market's actually pricing for the curve to be upward sloping. So, so this is where all the expectations for uh, wind up showing up on the market. It's what we call the implied forwards or if you use interest rate swaps, the actual forward markets for interest rates. And, and the, the, the twos tens curve being inverted like this is basically just telling you that the, uh, th- that the forward rates are significantly lower than the spot rates are right now, especially in the front end of the yield. Curve. So a very long answer there, Will, and because of that, we're kind of at time. So I, I apologize for maybe uh, m- maybe foregoing your second question, but we'll get to that next time on the Fic Focus Podcast Macro Matters Edition. Uh, on behalf of Erica Edelberg and Will Hoffman, I've been Ira Jersey. Um, uh, and if you have any ideas for questions, comments, or guests that you'd like to have uh, hear us talk to on the show, please reach out to us on the Bloomberg Terminal, um, or you can see all of our research at BI Go. Until next time, be well.